0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Our, our homes have become lighthouses throughout the year. You've opened up your homes. We've gone to the parks and literally hundreds and hundreds of kids were impacted this week with the gospel. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open with to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We continue our series called Hero, and we're talking about the hero of the scriptures. The hero of the scriptures is Jesus himself. This morning we look at a message I've entitled, When God Asked the Unthinkable. When God Asked the Unthinkable. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. It came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Wow. Go and offer your son as a burnt offering. Father, as we look at this section of God's word, your word, as we seek to understand your intentions here, as we look at your heart, as we look at who you are, teach us, Father, Teach us about yourself, teach us about ourselves, teach us about the hero, Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you write in your Bibles in verse 1, it says this is a test. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word test, I get a little queasy. I, 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 ever since, how many of you just love taking tests? I mean, you just loved it when you were in school and you love it now. Young people enjoy those times, right? You can Google up, and you can actually look at uh, answers from test questions. These are actually answers from test questions that uh, kids did. Find X. There's their answer. (laughs) Here it is. I bet that won a lot of brownie points. Uh, Another test question answer. H2O is water. CO2 is cold water. (laughs) Makes sense, doesn't it? To collect fumes of sulfur, hold a deacon over a flame in a test tube. All of our deacons head for the back door when we read that one. And uh vacuum, a large empty space where the Pope lives. That's the vacuum. <laughs> you can see how you get that. And uh, here's my favorite one. Name six animals which live specifically in the order. Two polar bears, three, I mean four seals. <laughs> I bet he got an A on that one, didn't he? You know, those are funny answers to questions, but the reality of it is, Abraham is being tested and it's anything but funny. It's anything but funny. He is asked to do the unthinkable, unthinkable the unimaginable, that which would cause us to pause and say, what is this teaching us about our God? Who is He and what is this message? The promised son of Abraham is now a young man and it's through Isaac, the the awaited son, that God will fulfill his promise to Abraham to form a new nation which would become the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and it's through them and through him the Messiah would come. But God says, I want you to take your son and offer him. What do we do when God asks us to do something that's unthinkable and unimaginable? When the price of obedience is so high that we don't know exactly what to do. Abraham was instructed by God to place the promised one on the altar. Let me remind you about the background. Abraham and Sarah were given a promise when Abraham was 75 years old, they've waited 25 years for the promised son to come. He's come. They came when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was or Isaac came when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 years old. At this time they should have been when she was pregnant, they should have been heading to the nursing home, but instead they're outfitting a nursery. And they're, they're decking it out in blue because they, they didn't have a sonogram, but even better, they had a promise from God that a boy would come. And when God speaks, you know what's going to happen and you know the promise that's going to be fulfilled. Isaac had a bright future. I mean, he had parents picked by God. He had, he lived in a peaceful land and he was the promised one. He was the promised one. And from him, the, the expected line would come, but this unexpected event would seem to derail everything. There are a lot of blanks in this section of Scripture. As we look at it together, I'm going to tell you, in my mind, I've got a lot of questions that I wish the Scriptures filled in, but, but they don't. For, for instance, may, maybe you're curious like I am. I would like to know specifically how old Abraham and Isaac are, were, weren't you? I mean, I'd like to know specifically how old. I, uh, we can't say exactly, but I'll show you in a few minutes how we can arrive at some type of conclusion. I'd like to know Sarah's role in this, wouldn't you, ladies? Wouldn't you like to know if if Sarah knew, if Sarah prayed, if Sarah objected, but there's nothing said about Sarah in this text? I I would also like to to know Isaac's reaction when this took place, but the scriptures don't teach us. I'd like to know, we were discussing in staff, and somebody said, wouldn't you like to know the next time Abraham told Isaac, let's go take a hike in the mountains, how he responded. (laughs) When we look at this section of God's word, there are a lot of blanks we cannot fill in, but there are some that we can. What we do know is that Abraham was asked to sacrifice his most prized possession. He was asked to sacrifice everything that was his future, everything that was hope, everything that was his promise. He's asked to give up. And his answer to God was yes. And so we look at this test. It's quite a test. Abraham, I want you to climb Mount Moriah. First of all, he calls out to Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. The, the, the word for test here, by the way, in the, in the Hebrew language, does not mean an enticement to do wrong. God does not do that. In James chapter 1, it says, God is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil, because he himself does not tempt anyone. But this particular word refers to prove one as being worthy. And so this is a test to prove that Abraham is indeed the worthy one as the founder of the nation, as the father of the nation, and those who through which the promised line would come. And so this is a, a test not for failure. This is a test for Abraham to prove it. I love what young blood, and I'm not sure uh, what century he's from, but he made this statement about God and temptation and Satan temptation. Satan tempts us to destroy us. God tests us to strengthen us. That's the difference. That's the difference. God tests us to strengthen us. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be strong in his might. And as we look at this, this is what God asks us to do. So the test comes along. The emphasis in this section is really up on Abraham, although we'll also see the faith of Isaac. Would Abraham give up his hopes, his dreams, his plans, his desires? Literally, would he lay them on the altar? That's the question before us in the text. That's the question. In verse 2, Abraham, let me remind you, Abraham is accustomed to hearing the voice of God. God has spoken to Abraham multiple times, he's followed after him, and he's accustomed to hearing the voice of God. He's been following God for many, many years. And God has been directing him, speaking to him. His faith had wavered in the past. If you remember, God had told him to go, and when he went, he took Sarah with him. And Sarah is this beautiful woman, even in her old age. She's an absolutely beautiful woman. And there are a couple of times when Abraham says, if they approach us and ask who you are, tell them you're my sister. And his faith had been weakened, but now his faith is strong. And in the midst of his strong faith, what we see here is a non-wavering faith. We see that his faith has grown. There's no indication that his faith wavered before him. This whole scenario seems bizarre and horrific in some ways. Why would God ask such a thing? Let me remind you of this. God never asked us to do what he would not do. And God willingly, God willingly would sacrifice his son on our behalf. And so with that as the context, let's look at the story and see what happens and see how Abraham responds to this particular test. Abraham's response is faithful obedience to God's instruction. It's faithful obedience to God's instruction. If you look at the text, it says in, in verse 2, after receiving the command to take his son, his only son offering, Abraham waited until when? He rose the next morning and he did what God instructed he listened to the voice of God, and he followed God. He has prompt obedience to what God asked him to do. He, he, he has prompt obedience, and what we see here is his willingness to follow after God. I don't know about you, but sometimes when it comes to obeying God's voice, when, when, when God speaks to us through his spirit, when God speaks to us through his word, when God instructs us to do something, sometimes my obedience is not prompt. Sometimes I, I want to, instead of a red light or a green light, I want the caution light. You know what I'm talking about? The white I, I, I want to wait and say, God, are you sure? God, is that really what I heard? God, is that really where I am? Is that really what's happening? I'm kind of like the kid who's playing Little League Baseball. It's a story of a kid playing Little League, little league Baseball. He comes to the plate, and there are a couple of guys on, and the coach gives him the bunt sign. You know what that means? He's supposed to square around and bunt. So the kid sees the coach give the bunt sign, but instead of bunting, he swings away, and he misses. And so the coach comes to him and says, son, did, did you not see me give you the bunt sign? And he said, yes, sir, I saw you give it, but I didn't think you really meant it. (laughs) You ever feel that way with God? I mean, he convicts you to get your marriage together. He convicts you to reconcile a broken relationship. He convicts you to become generous with all he's given you. He convicts you to be part of a Bible study, become a man or woman, of prayer. He convicts you to get rid of that sinful habit. He convicts you about your anger, your lack of faith, your, your addiction to something. And unlike Abraham, we're hesitant. Unlike Abraham, we're not prompt in our obedience. I remind you what the scriptures say in John chapter 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And as our faith wavers, our faith struggles, as, as, as I have at times in the midst of all that I'm dealing with, as, as I find that, that I have feet of clay and I'm so grateful for those of you who are holding up our arms at this time, we recognize sometimes our obedience is not prompt. We recognize sometimes our obedience is not complete, and and unlike Abraham, we struggle there. But Abraham's response is one of faithful obedience. It says that he took two men, and he took Isaac, and he split wood, and he took the wood. Third day, raised his eyes, saw the place at a distance. But look at verse 5. Abraham said, stay here with the donkey, talking to the young men. I and the lad will go yonder. We will worship, and we will return. If you write in your Bibles, underline that. We will worship, and we will return. He says, no matter what happens, I know God's promise will be fulfilled. And the promise is Isaac is the promised one. No matter what happens, God will keep his word and Isaac will be back with me. He turns to his servants and says, don't give up. God is not through. Whatever happens here, God is going to bring both myself and Isaac back. He believed that God would keep his promise that through Isaac the line would happen. Now, there are a lot of blanks here, aren't there? Don't you wonder, man, that is a strong faith, isn't it? It's a faith saying, no no matter what happens, God is going to take care of this. Well, the author of Hebrews fills in some blanks for us. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Hebrews is written by an author that we're not sure, an unknown author. But it's part of our canon. We know it's inspired by the Spirit of God. It's his inherent word. As we look at that word, what we recognize is God speaks to the author of Hebrews to fill in some of the blanks that we don't have here. And so we go to Hebrews 11. When you he, hear Hebrews 11, what, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Hebrews 11. What is it? Faith. It's God's hall of faith. And in Hebrews 11, what we find in verses uh, 17 through 19 is a commentary on this section of Abraham's life. It says, by faith, when God tested Abraham, there's our word test, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about the sacrifice his one and only son." Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Now look at this last section. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. What's that? Abraham was so sure the promises of God that through Isaac the promised one would happen that he even believed in something he had never seen before. He believed that God could even bring him back from the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. The New American Standard brought Isaac as a type, a, a representation of who. Isaac's a representation of who Christ was. Wow. Wow. Do you see the faith of Abraham? I mean, when you look at this, what you see is a man. A man who has faithful obedience to God's instruction. I've got to confess. So I've thought through this scenario over and over. And many of you have sons or grandsons, and God says, Offer your only son, offer your only grandson, offer your daughter, your only daughter, your only granddaughter. I I would hope I could pass that test, but I'm not sure. Take me, God. Take me. I'm the one who's older, I'm the one who's sick. I'm the one whatever, but God, don't touch my kids. Arthur Gardner said this, nothing is easier than saying words, nothing is harder than living them day after day. Isn't that true? I mean, it's difficult to walk in obedience the way God calls us to walk Sometime, Oswald Chambers, the great author of My Utmost for His Highest, says faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at that time. Sometimes we understand God's ways. You ever been there? I, I can't tell you I fully understand God's ways in our family right now, but I do know this. I trust in his character. Do I waver at times? I waver. But I trust in the character of my Father. And so I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask you to pray for me, that we trust in the character of God regardless of our circumstances, regardless of where we are, regardless of what we go through, better the storms with Christ than any storms without the Savior. And so when when I look at Abraham's life and when I see what he does here, it's absolutely amazing to see that he would have that type of faith. Next we see his total trust in God's provision. See, his faith was strong because he knew God was going to provide. He says, we will worship and we will return. God will provide in some way. If it's raising up uh, my son, he's going to do that, but God may provide it another way. And so you look at the scriptures to see what he says. And, and it says in, in verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering laid on his son Isaac. So we don't know the exact age of Isaac, but if you do some of the chronology in the life of Abraham, and you see that he's big enough to carry a load of wood to, to Moriah, you recognize that he's probably, when you do the, the chronology, probably in his late teens or early 20s. Scholars debate the age, and I, I can't be sure of what it is. But he's he certainly, if he's in his late teens or early 20s, that means Abraham is about 120 years old. He's old enough to outrun a 120-year-old man. And so, my friends, this speaks of the faith of Isaac as well. It speaks not only of Abraham's faith, it speaks of Isaac's faith and his obedience to his father and things I don't know that we can understand through the ancient Near Eastern patriarchal system and everything that's there, but recognize that Isaac is a man who, a young man in his teens or twenties who certainly could overcome that. Although Abraham's being tested, Isaac's faith is part of this remarkable story as well. I would imagine that every single step out up Moriah, and up that mountain, up that hill, became more difficult than the previous one. You see, they, they are both bearing a burden. Both Abraham and Isaac are bearing a burden. And as they, as they climb this mountain, that burden is heavy. They each bear a load. And we're not sure of the conversation between them, but it seems to indicate in the text that there wasn't a whole lot. And in verse 7 it says, Isaac spoke to his father. You see, Isaac's looking around and he says, Dad, we've got the wood and we've got the fire, but there's something missing here, Dad. There's something missing. The sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? The, 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 The scriptures say, behold the fire, behold the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is it? And you've got to love Abraham's response. God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. In fact, later on, Abraham names that place in verse 14. The Lord will provide. You hear the word Jehovah Jireh. That's exactly the word that's used here. God will be the one who will provide. He'll be the one that will provide. And so, as they take those steps, and he says, Where's the sacrifice? Abraham's total confidence and total trust is in God's provision. Total trust in God's provision. You ever struggle with wondering about God's provision? My hand goes way high right now. Way high. And as we struggle with that at times, as we struggle with that, we recognize there are so many variables in life that come our way, decisions we have to make on the journey of life that we have to lean into him. We have to trust God. As you saw, we're having a family reunion, and as we were at the pool yesterday uh, taking a swim, I was watching uh, our youngest grandson, his youngest grandchild is 15 months old, Case. And so Case is on the edge of the pool, and uh, Daniel, our son, is there. It's his son. And uh, he's 15 months old. I mean, he, he's walking, but there's no hope for him to swim at 15 months. And so he gets to the edge of the pool. And what does every dad do? When you get your sons on the edge of the pool, what does every dad say? Jump. And here's Case. He goes. <laughs> and he just jumps to his dad. I won't jump close to that edge, by the way. <laughs> i end up in somebody's lap. Total confidence in a father. Total confidence. Your kids and grandkids did that, didn't they? That's the picture. That's the picture. I know I can trust my dad. My dad did that with me. I did that with my son, and now I see it in the next generation. Now, as you grab those kids, that's what the father's saying. Abraham's saying, I know God can be trusted. I may not understand everything about it, But I know his character, and I know, as Oswald Chambers said, his character can be trusted. Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain, and you're familiar with what happens next. Look at what happens in verse 9. They came to the place which God told them, and they arranged the wood, and they bound this son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay it. We looked at multiple videos this week. To be honest with you, it's so graphic, and we've got kids in here that we couldn't show the video. You can imagine the whole scenario in your hand, and I'm not going to play it out or give you demonstrations, but you know what takes place there. But at that moment, the angel of the Lord speaks up and says, Abraham, Abraham, and he says, here I am. He says, don't stretch out your hand. Verse 12, I know now that you fear God since you've not withheld your only son, your son from me, your only son. He says, Abraham, you have passed the test. Abraham, you are proven. Abraham, your faith is enough. Abraham, you are the father of the nations. Abraham, everything is everything is on the altar before me Abraham trusted Jehovah so much that he would place his hopes, his dreams his future, his son on the altar sacrifice it all God asked us to do the same thing now, he doesn't ask us to go and kill our children don't mishear me don't mishear me but he does ask us to give up everything including ourselves Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present what? Your bodies, yourself, as a living and holy sacrifice. Today, give yourself to the Savior. Acceptable to God. That's your spiritual service. True worship is when each day we say, God, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. To use this day as you would, as you will. Take my hopes, my dreams, everything, and I lay them on the altar before you. They're yours, God. They're yours. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I long for, everything in life is yours. And he says, when you do that, you're not conformed to this world, but transformed by renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God says, Abraham, you've done it. You've done it. Before we go to the reward, though, look at verse 13. Abraham raised up his eyes, and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, and he took the ram, and he offered him for a burnt offering in the place of his son. In the place of, it's a technical word. It's a soteriological word. It's a a word related to salvation. It's referring to the substitutionary atonement. The ram died in the place of the son. Here's the amazing thing. What the ram did for Isaac, Jesus does for us. He takes our guilt. He takes our sin upon himself. He takes a punishment for our sins in order that we may be expiated. That is, our guilt might be removed before him. And he bears it at Calvary. It's an amazing, amazing story. A couple of things about this. He says God will provide He says, Abraham, you've passed the test. Verse 17, Indeed, I will greatly multiply you. Your seed will be as great as the stars in heaven. And he reiterates to him the Abrahamic covenant. There are a couple of things about this passage. First of all, this is unique. Abraham was a father of God's chosen people. God does not ask us to kill our children, but in the midst of this, he's saying, Abraham, I'm here to test you, to prove you're worthy to be the father of my people, the father of nations, and Abraham passed that test. He fears God above everything else. Second thing. Remember, Abraham came out of a pagan nation. Abraham's background, that was his root, those were his roots. And he was surrounded by pagan nations, some of which were involved in child sacrifice. When the nation of Israel would go into the promised land, remember as they're reading the Pentateuch, as they're reading these first five books of the Bible, they would be surrounded by pagan people, some who would offer child sacrifices. And they could, Abraham would now see that he has a God who is unlike the pagan gods of that age in his day, but he had a God who would provide a sacrifice, who would ultimately become the sacrifice. And those reading the Pentateuch later, they they would look back and say, we have a God who demands a sacrifice, but He becomes that sacrifice. And today we read these scriptures and we say, we have a God that demands a sacrifice, but that God becomes the sacrifice. Amen? I mean, it's amazing to see what happens here. So we look at this and we realize... There are many Old Testament heroes, including Abraham and Isaac. But here's the reality. The hero is Jesus. The hero is Jesus. And there's a comparison in in Hebrews 11. It says Abraham is a type. He's a figure of Jesus. And there are a lot of comparisons you can make between Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was a long-promised son to Sarah and Abraham. They waited 25 years for him to come. Jesus was a long-promised son of God. The scriptures say in Galatians, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. They've been waiting since Genesis three for him to come for hundreds of years, thousands of years. It's a long a promise and awaited son. Both of them came through miraculous conception. Abraham is a hundred, Sarah is ninety when she conceives. That's miraculous. Some of you ladies would say that's a nightmare, ninety years old and pregnant. It's a miraculous conception. Let me remind you that the conception of our Savior was miraculous as well. Mary says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? You go on and look at some of the comparisons. There are many. Isaac carried the wood for his sacrifice. Our Savior carried the wood for his sacrifice. Isaac climbed one mountain. Our Savior climbed another mountain. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is called Golgotha. There are many comparisons between Isaac and our Savior. Isaac submitted to his father. Jesus submitted to his father. Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. They both submitted to their father. Isaac, as a young teenager, or early 20s, didn't run from his father. He submitted to his father. Our Savior submitted his will to the will of the Father. Isaac was provided a substitute. Jesus became our substitute. And that should move us to tears. Our Savior became our substitute. He gave his life on our behalf. And as we look at that, we realize the price that he would pay. Isaac was loved by his father. In fact, the word son occurs ten times here. Jesus was loved by his father. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There are many heroes in the Old Testament, but the real hero... It's Jesus Christ, our Savior. The love of the Father, the love of the Son, has no limits. Fast forward from Abraham and Isaac. Fast forward with me to another hill, to another Father and Son. And the Father's looking down from his throne in heaven. And the Father is on the cross bearing your sin and my sin, your sin and your sin and your sin. And your sin. And he bears that sin, and at that moment, the sin is placed upon him. He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And our Savior gives his life for us, in the place of us. And you can have eternal life if you trust in him. This morning's a morning of decision. Worship team, would you guys come forward? This morning's a morning of decision. For some of you, it's a decision to trust Christ for the first time as your Savior to recognize eternal hope and eternal life is found in him. You've been religious, you've been good, but you haven't been saved. Now you see the perfect sacrifice has been given for you. Would you today, would you today, just pray with me in a second and make sure that Christ is your Savior. Some of you, your faith is wavering, you're struggling. It's weak at times. I've got to confess i struggled. Struggled with all this as we've been wrestling with it. And my faith has been weak at times, and I'm praying that God will bolster that, and I'll be a man of faith all the time, not some of the time. And for you, it's my prayer that you'll respond as Abraham did and say, I can trust in the provision of God today and all he's done. Let's pray. Father, today we recognize you're good God who gives us a day to celebrate your goodness. And today we honor you and we love you and we thank you for a Savior. We thank you for the one who died in our place, Jesus, the hero. We thank you for this picture of what he looked like and what he did. If you're here today and you're not sure Christ is your Savior, I invite you right now just to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I want to know with certainty that you're my Savior. And so I ask you this day for the forgiveness of my sin. I ask you to be my Savior. Or maybe you know the Savior. You recognize your faith is struggling. It's weak. It's wavering. There's not prompt obedience to do whatever it is God has called you to do or ask you to do or be. Maybe today is a day of confession. God help me. God bolster me. Just a, a crying out in desperation. Make me strong.